welcome to the first ever Whitewall Cinema podcast, where we'll be discussing Damien Giselle's odyssey into cinema, Babylon. Welcome to the first ever Whitewall Cinema podcast. We're a pop-up community cinema in central Brighton. Uh, we bring interesting, unusual, fun, overlooked cinema, both old and new, to the people of Brighton. Uh, and this is our, we're now branching out into podcasts. This is our first ever podcast. Uh, I'm Henry. I'm joined by Layla. Say, hello. I was going to say, say hello, <laughs> but you did say hello. Uh, and we uh, are going to be talking over the coming however many weeks. Hopefully we can keep this going as a podcast forever. I'd love to. I'm very excited to be doing this new thing. Uh, and we're going to be talking... About film, of course, as Whitewall Cinema, as we are, film nuts, enthusiasts. Uh, and it will be primarily reviews, so sort of non-spoiler reviews of mostly new films that are arriving. And also uh, classic films, uh, maybe in a more analysis mode, kind of getting deeper into some films that uh, perhaps you've seen are coming up for an anniversary uh, and... Uh, also things that things that you may have seen at the cinema, uh, actually at our events, um, or that we've introduced you to. And this is, you know, some way you can get kind of further, uh, you know, deeper into the film. I mean, we always do an introduction with our films at the cinema, which I know is one of the things that people really love about the cinema, giving the, the context up front. But one of the things you can't do is kind of get deeper into the movie because sometimes you want to have a discussion about things that happen in the movie, which you don't want to talk about before the movie starts. Uh, so we'll be, you know, sometimes you're going to be able to see a film and then come over to the podcast and actually get deeper into it with us in an analysis sense. But again, we'll always warn you, you know, with the reviews, it's mostly is a spoiler-free experience, and with a analysis, there might be a little bit of a a, a, a dig a, 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 a bigger dig into the plot. So um, today, seeing as we're this is our first podcast and it's a podcast about cinema, we're going to talk about. Uh, some films from the award season, which is just now in the rearview mirror, that, uh, of course, next award season, we'll be talking about all of the big films that are at the top of the, the pack. But today we're going to do something a little bit more interesting and start with a film that was just a little bit outside of the, the key. You, you know, we want to look at a few films that are essentially about just falling off the radar of the of, 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 of award season. Things that really you perhaps would expect to get awards, yeah. but just haven't really been given the recognition. Um, uh, for, you know, some, some of them rightly, some of them wrongly, but they're just sort of interesting. Every year there's interesting things that fall just outside of the big hitters, the big names that the uh, Academy and the BAFTAs and so on kind of fawn over. So today we're going to talk, and fittingly, as we're a cinema podcast, we're going to talk about a film that is about cinema. So there are a lot of these films about at the minute that are films about the cinema. Uh, I, I mean, personally, as a cinema enthusiast, as someone that loves cinema, I love <laughs> seeing that on screen. I don't know how that experience is for a lot of people who aren't yeah. so, you know, spending so many thousands of hours of their life just looking at film and understanding. I think it can be seen as self-indulgent. It can be. Um, but, you know, the I think the entire process of film could, could be self-indulgent, yeah. even if it's not about film. So... But, uh, I mean, that's sort of part of the exploration, isn't it, of ideas that you don't, you know, if you are, you know, um, on a building site or whatever, you don't have, you're not necessarily dealing with these ideas. And so, you know, someone out there is dealing with these ideas uh, because that's what they do, you know. And so that's just part of the rich tapestry of life, isn't it? But in terms of Babylon, which is the movie we're going to be talking about first, uh, it is a... It's by Damien Chazelle. He's the guy most people know for making Whiplash, um, which is the jazz musician, very tightly edited, brilliantly performed, much awarded awards, award season movie Whiplash, uh, the jazz musician, the conservatory in New York, right? Not my tempo, as, the, <laughs> as, as he says. Um, uh, and then uh, he directed Whiplash and Damien Chazelle also um he directed La La Land, which, of course, you know, was awarded the Oscar for Best Picture and then that was taken away <laughs> because it wasn't actually awarded it. Someone just read the wrong 
thing in an, the wrong envelope and so on. You know the story, it's out there. Uh, and the one that kind of gets forgotten about, I guess, uh, with Damien Chazelle is First Man, which is the Ryan Gosling going to the moon. Uh, beautifully done, but kind of, I guess, slightly somewhat forgotten about in the, mm. the Damien Chazelle canon. Um, but Babylon is this sort of epic three-hour exploration of the early days of Hollywood. Um, it begins in 1926, and um, it is essentially sets up as a an exploration, at the very beginning, an exploration of the kind of debauched lives, the, 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 rather detached from most people's lives, just as Hollywood, I guess, is understood to be broadly detached from ordinary lives. But they're living these extraordinarily hedonistic lives. Uh, interesting, I guess, at a time before social media and and very, very kind of close quarter reporting and everyone's got a camera on their phone. They're doing these crazy, wild, hedonistic things in the privacy of their big mansions. So in a way, they sort of, uh, I would say, I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but they're getting away with a lot more than people would, could get away with. I don't know, maybe there are some sort of secret, you know, uh, eyes wide shut parties that happen in, in Hollywood. I don't know, but it's kind I'm of... I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are, but, you know, these... In a way, you can't imagine, because the film begins with an elephant being yeah. transported to a big Hollywood producer's um, mansion as a sort of party favour, as a, just a sort of moment where this elephant's going to be introduced into the house just for the sake of, you know, I had a party and there was an elephant that came through. I mean, you know, and I mean, that makes it sound incredibly less wild than it actually is yeah. as a party because there's all kinds of... I mean, that's just where it begins. Yeah, there's all sorts of substances and, you know, kind of... Overdosing. Uh, yeah, and sort of, you know, um, uh, uh, sexual kind of escapades yeah. and, it's, 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 and and there's jazz musicians and... There's you know, like sort of carnival... Yeah, the whole nine yards, is Vibes. It? So, but yeah, it it is. It begins there, and there's three characters that really carry the whole carry the whole movie through. One is, uh, I have to check my uh, my my notes here, but uh, it, one is Manny Manny Torres, played by Diego Calva, who I think is maybe maybe the main hook of the film. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a very convoluted film, mm-hmm. Babylon, which is both to its detriment and its credit, um, but. Uh, yes, it's Manny Torres, who's a sort of at the very beginning is a a jobber, you know, a guy who does odd jobs for the 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 studio head, but not in a not on any production capacity. I mean, his dream is to be on a movie set, uh, and that is of course realised quite quickly in the film. But he starts out as a guy who's just doing grunt work for a producer. There's Nelly. Leroy, who is Margot Robbie's character, who just sort of arrives again very early at the parties, trying to blag her her way into the party, but isn't really a. Um, she's not yet a star, but she's on her way to stardom. Is the idea uh, with with her character, and her dream is also to be on a movie set. But at this point, at the very beginning of the movie, where she, where where Manny and Nelly which is Diego Calva and Margot Robbie come together, they're both just sort of dreaming of being in films. And then there's Jack Conrad, who is is Brad Pitt's character. And Brad Pitt is a big stretch for Brad Pitt to play, I imagine, an established, well-known, good-looking movie star. Uh, And he's sort of, you know, he's already at the top of the heap. And so these are the three sort of paths that, that intertwine in Babylon which then they go on a real, it's a real odyssey into the world of cinema, behind the scenes of cinema. Uh, And it has a kind of, um, you know, it is at the very beginning, I think, a little bit cringe, actually. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) There is a a moment, I mean, some people are going, let's be be upfront, some people are going to hate this movie. Yeah, 100%. Some people, some people are going to, I mean. You will just potentially reject it as soon as it begins. But then it, it becomes kind of more, maybe a bit more sprawling than I expected it to be. I think, and spends more time with different characters and kind of goes into the life of on a movie set. I think it's just a bit cringe because Diego and Nelly, or Margot and um, yeah. uh, Diego, uh, their characters are at the beginning are a little bit uh, wide-eyed, mainly be- partly because of the drugs that they're taking, <laughs> but also 
They're which little... Nelly keeps up. Yeah, but there's a sort of general sense that, um, you know, they're talking very broad strokes about cinema and how brilliant cinema is and just wanting to be a part of it. Yeah, I mean, it's a specific scene where they are taking drugs and speaking mm. in this sort of, like, yeah. naive, really annoying way yeah. about being a star. <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, the film then develops into this, I mean, it's a sort of caco- unsubtle cacophony of noise, the whole film is. Um and and through that, I think, another kind of subtlety or kind of nuance emerges through the chaos. But it's always couched in that chaos. I mean, like any Damien Chazelle film, it's, it's a technical marvel. Mm. Like the way in which some of these scenes are shot and the way in which it's designed mm. and the production design and, of course, the music, always top-notch with, with Damien Chazelle. He's obviously, um, I think he actually studied... Yeah. Music, music, jazz, uh, maybe, or or classical music, or something. Well, I think right, some, but... something about Whiplash is autobiographical, yeah. isn't yeah. it? So, you know, but he just, um, I mean, he excels in terms of music, and there's a lot of music in this film, a lot of uh, amazing performances and musical cues. Um, uh, and there is another character um, who is a, a a jazz musician who's maybe maybe the fourth character down. In the sort of pecking order of, of 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 big characters, I think that character's name is Sidney Palmer. I might yeah, be wrong. I might I might be wrong, right. but um, but you know, uh, so there is this, uh, quite a big focus on music. But at the end of the day, it's about filmmaking, and it's sort of about the countless kind of there's countless references to like silent movies or early sound movies. I mean, there's so many. Uh, films. I mean, and I'm not perhaps the world's most uh, foremost aficionado on 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 silent cinema or early cinema, um, or, but I do have a, a good enough knowledge to know that there are, I don't know, a hundred different movies being referenced here. You know that that where they're sort of taking moments from movies and feeding them into the plot, or they're just showing, um, the telling stories. I mean, all of the stories in this movies are sort of even though it's an, it's, it's, it's an imaginary world full of kind of nonsense, mm. it's also clearly extracted from... Yeah, from potentially real Hollywood, or at least myths, but like legitimate kind of 20s, 30s Hollywood stories of actresses and actors. I think you've n- n- hit the nail on the head as well, because it is a, a film about... It's a film about... It's a myth-making film. It is about the myth, the kind of mythology of Hollywood and the the mythology of making movies but also um you know the, for, for, uh, the, the fact that they are the myth makers these people mm. like what they're doing is making myths mm. on screen uh and i mean basically it's a film about the love of cinema but in the most extraordinary unusual uh approach to doing that it's not quite how you'd expect it to be i mean if, apart from this countless kind of silent movies and early sound references there's a big bunch of references to modern filmmakers there's a lot of quentin tarantino in there there's a lot of martin scorsese in there there's there's even some wes anderson in there Mm. the one that's most prevalent for me and it comes will come up again and again is um uh there's a lot of paul thomas anderson this movie is a is in in essence a retread of boogie nights like Mm. i think there's so many scenes i mean you talked about a, a drug overdose scene that happens early in the movie that is the exact same scene that happens in Boogie Nights, like the exact same scene, uh, in the exact same way, at a party, yeah. sneaking the person out, all the things that happen, minus the elephant. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it is uh, it is the same thing. Um, and there's even the, even some of the sort of ways in which it's timed. Um, each A lot of the episodic bits in, in in the film, of course, I mean, actually, the first hour, really... Um, sorry the first half hour is really just this party mm. um, and then the next half hour you know is is I don't know the 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 process of shooting movies it's blocked out into different sections but a lot of the scenes work as a kind of little opera unto themselves they sort of um, have a song that accompanies it in the background and they you know maybe a classical piece of music or something that's I don't know whether it's, com- whether it's score or but it's it, it, you know each time they are they quite often sort of crescendo and peak mm. 
with a song that's been going on, you know, and just the rhythm of, the, of each scene builds up and builds up and builds up until there's a kind of, sometimes a sort of humorous kind of comic release at the end. But it's very much like um, Magnolia. Magnolia does that a lot. There's a scene in Magnolia that's, a, you know, the cop goes to have coffee with the girl in the apartment. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, they, they it, it, that's set to a piece of opera. Um, but they, it, it crescendos with the music. That happens quite a lot. So it's very like Magnolia in that sense. Mm. And then it's also like there's a scene, without getting too deep into the movie, <laughs> um, into spoilers, but there's a snake scene in um, in, in Babylon that is, um, you know, someone's basically on a dare, if you like, or doing a sort of stupid stunt. And it involves a scene with a snake out in the middle of the desert. And uh, this is like h- highly similar, I would say, to the Sean Penn motorbike scene in yeah, Licorice Pizza. That's true. It's weirdly similar. Sort of everyone coming out to watch this insane thing take place. Yeah. For like no reason other than just pure hedonism. Other than they're famous and they're trying to impress <laughs> and their they're gang. They're kind of bored. So it's like, what can we do next to just sort of one up all the crazy shit we've already done? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it has all these elements you know it has the musical element it has a kind of screw it has a kind of screwball comedy element it has a kind of um uh epic kind of you know uh lawrence of arabia vibe it's also it got has... citizen kane vibes yeah very much so yeah and i think william randall hurst is like actually in it as a character yes i think that's I think right margot yeah. Rob- robbie pukes on him at one point okay <laughs> <laughs> uh, and spoiler <laughs> and uh um and then there's even i would say even the party scenes um, have a kind of Baz Luhrmann element to them. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit of... Yeah. But, it, you know, it's a lot better than Luhrmann's Great Gatsby, <laughs> even though it's sort of a lot worse, which is it's kind of amazing. Um, but, you know, I think in a way, I don't know whether it's Damien Chazelle or the studio or people in general, but the first half an hour, which is this hedonistic party scene, I think probably people thought, maybe Damien, I don't know whether Damien Chazelle or the studio or whoever's involved in this production, maybe probably thought that that was the most appealing bit of the film this is the thing that's going to hook people in yeah and be excited about but i actually think it might be the weakest yeah part of the film yeah well i think it's what's come to be expected of him particularly because of la la land if you think about how that starts the whole thing is just very theatrical it's very musical theater (laughs) (laughs) um and so like he puts this very extreme scene basically a spectacle at the beginning of the film to kind of draw in maybe a certain audience yeah or to be like okay here's what you want from me well you get <laughs> and the then se- it sort of goes somewhere else you get the sense when you're watching uh great gatsby with baz yeah. Luhrmann that the film really could have been confined to that party scene mm. had none of the other stuff in it and been trimmed down to about i don't know 30 seconds yeah and then just put a perfume at the end of it and make it an advert <laughs> for a perfume because the bit the the party scenes are amazing in gatsby like but yeah. then, I mean, it's not a film. No, it's <laughs> but, like... But those bits are incredible. Yeah. And they could just be cut down. Whereas this is like a perfume advert, but like an, an X-rated perfume advert, mm. one that could never be broadcast. Mm. Um, but, it, you know, it, it does work. But it is, the I think, the least interesting because an appealing bit of the movie for to me, or it's the weakest part of the movie, and that's not to say it's weak, but what happens beyond the party when this kind of incredible mm. spectacle has ended... Um, and it does actually make a break. There's a really cl- amazing moment where Margot Robbie leaves the house and it comes out of the house in the shot that mimics that Wizard of Oz yeah. door opening. Yeah. You, you know, again, the sort of colour of the sky and everything. It's like it goes into colour. Yeah, I mean, it's exceptionally obvious kind yeah. of early, you know, early Hollywood reference. Mm-hmm. But it is quite clearly, you know, that. And it, maybe it's also a little bit like The Searchers where John Wayne stood in the doorway. And there's this kind of darkness inside, and there's this amazing world on mm-hmm. the outside. But it, it, it you know, um, it's beautiful uh, that moment. But then, and the film is beautiful, like quite a lot. But then there's also this kind of grubby, seedy, grotesque. I mean, something. <laughs> Toby Maguire. You know, yeah, we'll come back <laughs> to that. We'll come back to that in a minute. But you know, there is. They've had a lot. They uh, the cast seem to have had their teeth yellowed this yeah i don't think you noticed it until you said but but. i yeah there there is this there are these things i mean i noticed it on toby Maguire and his skin and everything i mean he just looks like he's been living in that underground yeah Yeah. again let's not get i don't people gonna have to experience 
<laughs> that I would say that is, <laughs> I mean there's no way for us to describe those without no without giving it away and immediately me. people not wanting to watch podcast about the worst things that you've ever yeah. heard in your life but um but yeah and there's even I mean again another filmmaking reference is that they then get into that section which is again the second half hour of the movie you know we've not even got out of the first hour here and there's a good half hour then about the movie making process at that time about um, all this sort of back lot that's all kind of outdoors where there's mm. lots of movies shooting side mm. by side. But even before you get to that, I think between the par- the party scene at the beginning and that, the bit where you're at the films, it's just the bit where um, Diego Calva goes with Brad Pitt to his house. Yes. Because he sort of, he's like, okay, come with me, like, you can sort of work with me or you can follow me around or whatever the deal is yeah. from the party. And he drives him home and then you just see Brad Pitt like being... I don't know, a drunken mess at home. It's actually got a little bit of like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I thought. Yeah, no, there's a big... and But that also follows through in terms of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in terms of the way that, that, that he treats the bits of the film that are about movie making. Yeah. The kind of pacing uh, of... You know, th- there's a bit there where, again, the second... Again, these are not spoilers. This is just very, you know, light investigation of the plot. <laughs> but... Um, uh, Margot Robbie's character is doing some acting quite early on in the movie mm. and she's being asked to kind of do the, uh, this is weird as well because she's being asked to do uh, produce a tear basically to to yeah. to um, to cry and then she's sort of like you know this is already a kind of feat of amazingness and then she's asked to do it again she's in fact she's not asked to do it again she goes should we go again? Like, she, and everyone's sort of amazed that she can go again straight away to mm. to produce a tear. Two things about this: the process of that is about like those scenes in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is where Leo DiCaprio is <laughs> getting into the process yeah. of acting, yeah. and you're watching someone acting in a movie, in a movie. Then it's also the same as Boogie Nights, mm. where different industry, <laughs> a different movie industry entirely. But uh, Mark Wahlberg's character goes <laughs> and then they're like and he's like do you want to go again and everyone's amazed not only did he do it but he'll he'll do it again yeah you know it's like insane bit. Really, yeah but there's something also really like sociopathic about it yeah for the characters i think it's like trying to tell you it's almost like this person's not human or they don't actually have proper i don't know emotions or empathy you know it's like when she can cry in this way yeah because she's actually just crazy the whole time and she shows a real lack of empathy to people around her too and she just kind of uses people and relies on them way too much. And it's like, yeah, I can produce a fake tear for you. <laughs> like, it just says so much about her character. But then also there's the, uh, there's this almost like moments of kind of Wes Anderson style uh, humor um, in it in, with the, like the director that's directing Margot Robbie when she's just sort of like, she's just like, Okay, yeah, we'll go with it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's quite funny mm-hmm. in a kind of in a kind of detached, cool yeah. Wes Anderson way. Yeah. And I forget, I, it's bad. I forget this actress's name um, because she's also in First Man. Oh. And okay. she, I, I think I'm right in saying she's D- Damien Chazelle's wife. Oh, really? Yeah. So I hadn't only seen her in First Man, and this. Yeah. We'll have to uh, yeah, to, okay. to to find out her her name. Hang on. Oh, is it Ruth Adler? Is it Ruth Adler? Is or it? Was that her? Um... It is. That's her character name, Olivia Hamilton. Um, is it her? Yeah, Olivia Hamilton. Yeah. Okay. So she is his wife. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, she pops up in that, and she's great in that. In that, yeah. I, I guess it's not a huge role, but she comes back a few times in, in terms of the movie making process. But she uh, is really good. Actually, yeah, she's in great in it. Like, she's fantastic. Funny. Yeah. Just the reactions that she has to Margot Robbie, because she's kind of there. She's kind of causing a scene. But then the director's so willing to go with it because it's like, fine, like we're on this production line of making films at this time. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, if you're going to do that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's kind of, she does a good job of showing, I think, like how Margot Robbie's character is supposed to be really kind of extraordinary in that way. Yeah. Just such a performer. Yeah. Uh, and she kind of like assists Margot Robbie. Yeah, it's sometimes way, it's say. not what Margot any 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 character sometimes not what they do, but it's the reaction of other I people it, around. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. It's the reaction. I think it actually helps you to. For me, okay, I'll speak for myself. Yeah, it helps you to hate the Margot Robbie character less because you don't like Margot Robbie. 
I think she has limited skills. Yeah, I'm not a fan of Margot Robbie. <laughs> no, I know fine. everybody loves she Margot. She can be well cast. I know it's everybody fine. loves Margot Robbie, yeah. but she's maybe not our favorite. No hate, no hate. Yeah, yeah. But but this character, just the small role of the director and watching her reactions to the things that Margot Robbie is doing, yeah. actually kind of helps you to go. Yeah. Okay, I'll go with this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you buy in. Yeah. And also, I mean, there's a sort of, um, I mean, and then on the other side of the lot, Brad Pitt's making a film. Mm. And it's just sort of wild and out of control and, you know, very, you know, frivolous and hedonistic. But yeah. it's Spike Jones is there. So you've got Spike yeah. Jones now thrown into the mix of directors. And he's playing a director, uh, a sort of archetypal, you know, there's a lot of directors that came over from from Europe at that time who are working in Hollywood. Mm. And he's playing, uh, I don't know what nationality is. Maybe a is, German but, Yeah, director. but, you know, he's playing an Austrian or, yeah. a, you know, he's playing uh, some sort of, I mean, maybe it's, uh, maybe Spike's sort of uh, accent is not making it clear. <laughs> but he, he is, it's all about the process of the light and making, getting, ca- getting, capturing the light and capturing everything at the right moment. Before and, the light goes, which by yeah. the way. Yes, go on. <laughs> Brad Pitt is also struggling with like coming to the end of his career and having to realize that he might be too old for what he's doing. Yeah. And there's a gossip columnist who's kind of writing about yeah. him in an unfavorable the, light. The light is fading. The light is fading on yeah. Brad's career. But then Manny has to go and and and, and get a camera. And that, I guess it sounds like simple stuff, but it's very drawn out, very operatic, mm. and done with real brilliance and flair and technical expertise. Um, and it's very exciting, I think, if you're I- into cinema, even though it's convoluted yeah. and kind of, I think for a lot of casual film goers, they're going to be, they're going to reject this kind of, people don't like these, I think generally, and I understand it, but people don't like these, these, these kind of messy, yeah. long, yeah. convoluted, I mean, people make it sound like terrible. A, but, no, but people like a very tightly knit narrative yeah. beginning, middle and end yeah. thing. And, and this is, this and is not speaking that. very broadly, but yeah. This, this is not that. This is not that. And <laughs> but it has so much more to it. Yes. And he, but he, the way that that's all, you know, I mean, it's like, it's almost like um, uh, Spielberg's 1941. Yeah. You know? I mean, <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's a wild ride. It's an um, ensemble. Yeah. Mess. Yeah. <laughs> or, or But fun. To, to, to use the comparative, uh, uh, Scorsese's New York, New York. Yeah, you know, just yeah, kind of once upon a time in Hollywood. Yeah, this is all like okay, you're here now, you're here, and we're really just wanting to show LA and the landscape. And here's like I don't know, fifty characters that crop up throughout. Yeah, and you're kind of just getting a, a taste of like it's kind of like if you were to go to LA and have like a couple of wild days in LA, and then you'd be like, what just happened? Yeah. It gives you that feeling. <laughs> but then there's also, um, I mean, there's also the, there's a lot about like the kind of industry. You know, and I think uh, in a way it's a bit like the process of working through things. In, a, in again, it reminded me of uh, Scorsese's *The Aviator*. That's of course a long thing that go a long a film that go, a long film that goes over a long period of time mm. and follows people's attempts to create or you know do certain things, achieve certain yeah. things. And this does that same. Yeah, and I think it's nice because it does have like different tangents and different you know there are minor characters and sort of background characters who work in the industry but they're not like the stars of the show Mm. you know i'm thinking of the um i don't know her name but i'm gonna say the asian american woman who is like a performer or no she she performs in the at the party like she sings she's kind of cabaret yeah but she, what does she do? Like the titles on the film? Yeah, the, the silent movie the, yeah, titles. Yeah, the, the silent movie titles, yeah. the words of the characters that are speaking in between yeah. scenes. Yeah. So it's got characters like this that are actually But she's quite... also this underground performer that is yeah. the toast of the kind yeah. of parties that these people throw in. Yeah. And, and, and she's seen as a kind of big figure, mm. uh, a, almost kind of mythical, mm. you know, performer that they all kind of love. Yeah. 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 Um, but you know you you follow characters like that and it's kind of it'll just go away from them and then it'll come back and it'll weave them in and you sort of realize the significance of them which is a lot of times just tangentially like she becomes significant they have to get rid of her because of i don't know the relationship she has with margot robbie's character at one point yeah but it makes you feel like you're actually invested in these background characters too and it's nice that it goes and this singer as you say again no spoilers here but Mm. this singer comes back into the plot at one point and uh, meets with Brad Pitt at a party, uh, and then Brad Pitt goes off from the party. Mm. And I won't spoil because it's uh, you know these are all major 
uh, plot points, but the exact same scene happens in Boogie Nights. Again, the exact same thing. In the same way, with the same pacing. Mm. It's bizarrely Mm. Boogie Nights, like Mm. through and through and through. Uh, But it is really a film. It's about, there's so much about, I mean, like it's a, a film about the magic of Hollywood, the extremeness of Hollywood. The fo- you know, the folly of it. Yeah. The kind of mad- But also the way it kind of chews people up and spits them out yeah. and they can end up... Yeah, well, I was going to say the madness Nothing. of Hollywood and then I was going to say yeah. the kind of near-death experiences mm. or sometimes kind of death experiences <laughs> of just like extras or something, you yeah. know, of like how wild it is. Yeah. You know, again, this myth-making about the myth-makers, that's what this film is, mm. you know. Uh, but there's a sh- like kind of sheer love of cinema in this movie that I think you don't get. I was kind of surprised, we won't talk about this movie, but another movie that was kind of in the mix at the same time was The Fablemans. Mm. And The Fablemans, of course, Steven Spielberg's story about himself, or well, you know, it's a, 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 a mostly, you know, I mean, people are talking about, is it true or not true? But, you know, this story about Spielberg's childhood and how mm. he became a filmmaker. And, but it's really about his family. Yeah. And it is about the kind of cost of being a filmmaker mm. or being having that kind of point of view. But it isn't really like a. It isn't really on the level in terms of like how much it is about the love of cinema as a movie like this. Is, this is really about mm. whether it be the industry or whether it be the process or yeah. whether it be the uh, silence or whether it be the the, the 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 kind of side things like the parties or yeah. just the production line process. You know, um, the technical process. I mean, there's like scenes of like you know um, film being fed into the loops of a camera mm. you know quite you know front and center yeah or there's a whole sequence in the movie which is essentially about sound when yeah. sound arrives in the second hour of the movie i mean blimey you've only got to the second hour of the yeah. movie and, and it's quite a brutal scene yeah it's and a, it makes you sweat <laughs> well it is a kind of replay and we might talk about this briefly again and again trying to not spoil it but it's a replay of a uh scene that happens in um uh, singing in, not boogie nights <laughs> no in this case singing in the rain yeah about the invention of sound and how cameras had to then be static mm. um and um you know the difficulty of recording sound in the early days not just from a technical point of view because you've got to hang it here if you want to hang it somewhere else in the shot and you want to hear someone speaking in a different place, you have to yeah. move the microphone. The actors have to hit their mark. Yeah. They have to say it just at the right time. People can't have a watch on or people can't be wearing... A you can't co- open the door of the studio you can't open a lot. The, to the sound <laughs> stage, yeah, because yeah. you let the sound of the water... I mean, there's so many yeah. things. And the camera has to be in this box because you can't... The sound of the camera, of, of the film ticking over, is too loud for the, the mics in the in the in in the on the sound stage so there's all these things and i mean it one of the things is about movie making at times it kind of got ruined by the fact that you know you couldn't have these dynamic camera moves or anything you couldn't do anything with the camera anymore because you had to just put it where the camera went inside this box Mm. because you had to protect it from the sound if you wanted sound um of course sound was sort of like you know it was like when color came along or 3d or whatever people forget that sound was really just seen as a gimmick you know a lot of people didn't take sound seriously as something that you should have yeah in your movies you yeah. know and the real art was was movies without sound and then there's the the aspect of silent actors when they finally do make a sound movie like with brad pitt not to it's not much of a spoiler but you know you will receive different criticism and people might actually be shocked by how you sound. Which is the same scene that happens in The Artist. But yeah, I was anyway, say, And it's the yeah. same scene that happens yeah. in Singing in the Rain yeah. and so on. But the, there is the whole uh, sense that the cinematographer and the film is making quite an obvious point um, that this is uh, the death of the cinematographer. Mm. <laughs> quite, You know, it is literally there is no more... Um, there is no more. Uh, you, you can't use the camera in any way that's more, uh, more dynamic than just yeah. keeping it inside a box. Yeah. So when the second hour arrives, it, it, sound also arrives at the same mm. time, and it's a sort of harbinger of doom for everybody. And uh, I mean, <laughs> the downward spiral begins for a lot of people. Again, boogie nights. Um, <laughs> but you know. Um, it is um it also moves on in another way which is this is sort of you know you're talking about people being judged mm. differently before and after sound mm. the sort of pre-code debauchery 
the sort of pre-sound debauchery. Then it moves into this code era, and there's yeah. a sort of puritanical PR side of things. Yeah, that's the, the, both on you know that the, is on screen and of course off screen because you know the gossip magazines and so on will will, will capture these things, and so um, there there becomes. Well, an attempt is made to kind of save Nelly as yeah, an actress. Clean up the image. Yeah. Yeah. Um but then there's also um a sort of uh element that they try to get in here, which is the sort of grotesqueness of the upper class. And we're getting a kind of triangle of sadness, even with the we mentioned a maybe a light spoiler about vomit earlier, but there's that's you know, there's a lot of vomit in Triangle of Sadness and that appears in the same moment in the same commentary about the upper class and people with money mm. uh, and their kind of folly and their kind of arrogance mm. and it, it comes so i mean it's almost like it's referencing that and as what as well and there's a sort of sense of um there's moments where um you know she's trying to rehabilitate her career and she's sort of the audience that she's going for are the um upper upper class because she wants to you know the sort of power players polite society and mm-hmm. she sort of in a sense she sort of dies in front of this audience because they don't you know uh, it doesn't go quite so well and the same with brad pitt literally because his characters you know now in the sound era he's kind of dying in front of the audience um because people just sort of you know not only can his character die in a movie or whatever that that kind of those kind of references but literally there's sort of there's a scene where he's looking at people watching him in a movie and they're laughing at his performance because they I don't know exactly what they what's weird about that scene where the audience are laughing at Brad Pitt is that it's like I think the audience seemed quite pathetic and childish yeah, yeah. But people would have been like that and they would have, it's kind of just like they would have thought that sound was f- a funny thing to hear in films. And it seems like, I don't know, maybe it ruins people's perception because they would have ideas. I mean, you would imagine what you think an actor would sound like and you kind of get to put that in the film yourself. And then you're just confronted with what they actually sound like. It might be funny. What I got from it, well, unexpected. The idea is that he's maybe very not a very good actor. Well, yeah, he seems stiff or something. It's like his de- it's line not, delivery is stiff. Yeah, he's not helped by sound. But what I get from the scene is that Damien Chazelle is almost like taking. I mean, it's a risky game to play when you've got an audience, and this is one of the reasons why people reject it because he mm. does take all these big risks throughout it. But it, it's almost like he's saying about all the times that he's made a film and it hasn't gone. It hasn't been received in the right way. Yeah. But the people, there is a reality that people react to it in a way that this is not very good. And he's like mad, I think, as a director. He's mad at people scoffing at the time and effort and craft, you know, because a lot, I mean, even though characters, Pitt's characters is, is, is shown as self-indulgent, there is a lot of effort on everybody's part to get to the point of filming the scene that then eventually you know that that you might see on screen mm. uh and it Giselle almost feels like he wants to ridicule the audience even though it feels like Pitt's character is being ridiculed yeah he wants to ridicule the audience they seem pathetic for mocking mm. Brad Pitt away that they seem childish and juvenile and that they haven't really understood it um but you know that again it's all about every aspect of the movie is, is industry is in here it's like the machine of it the responsibility of making also movies. Also, just like the camaraderie of it, I think. Yeah. And the, the way the characters lean on each other when they're all going through their respective breakdowns. Yeah, and <laughs> and, and when I was going to say about the responsibility, there's a mm. sort of scene um, where the jazz musician is put through a very humiliating um, moment, um, which is you know actually centered around it's centered around racism essentially, um, and. Um, he but the reason that he has to go through this is because the kind of machine demands it of him that you know in order to for him to get where he wants to get and now all these people that rely on him mm. you know that's the thing crucially people that he doesn't not want to let down yeah he has to do something which is basically unspeakable um on camera um and he has to do it because the machine demands it of him and there's no other way. I mean, you know, there's no other way out of the situation other than to let everybody else down. Um, and so he's kind of cajoled in doing it. And it, it has these career arcs that are, 
that are really are really interesting. And, and in some ways, it's like there's a lot of there's another film that it references, I think, which is Birdman, mm. or the virtue of whatever that you know the Michael Keaton the um you know some of the scenes in that to do with the criticism um and there's an interesting scene in it where they're talking about the the repetition you know of things that there'll be a hundred more conversations like this um uh, you know the history will play these things out and again and again which is what the film is doing it's playing out things that have happened in films or things that have happened in the production of films and you've sort of seen a lot of these things again but it is the repetition of it it's the 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 re uh, appearance of these things the reintroduction of these scenes and these ideas that make it uh, make babylon such a fascinating movie even though in some ways you feel like you've seen it all before sometimes when people steal from other movies i kind of get annoyed because you feel like it's just a copy but i think there's like a real method to Chazelle's like reintroducing like so many densely packed references mm. all the way through the movie because it is about people go through these 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 you know people will make the same movies again and again people will make movies in the same way or in different ways will have these conversations over and over again and again you'll have to watch it to really understand that and maybe you won't you know, you might have to watch it several times yeah, to really get it's that. It's one of those types of movie. I think. Yeah, and I mean, all the characters have. I mean, the whole thing about Brad Pitt's character is that he sort of is so desperate for something new. Uh, he wants this kind of modernity, um, but it comes back to bite him that he does want that because mm. in the end, sound comes, mm. and you know, um, he keeps talking about furniture and design, and you know, he wants to like push the boundaries because he's basically bored of being a sort of you know movie star and when it finally comes it's like a mistake for him yeah um but, but I then do... he continues doesn't he i yeah. mean i remember at one point he gets a phone call and it's basically the upshot of it is like this is going to be a shit movie and yeah. <laughs> there's no money in it or yeah. whatever but he yeah. just does it anyway because it's like what else do you have this is your life yeah and what what transferable skills do you have and there's a theme in it which is spoken to brad pitt which is about that you know or despite all of these things that happen whether it be these behind the scenes parties these terrible falls from grace mm. uh these mistakes these these uh, or these productions that go awry or whatever so it's like what gets on screen is forever mm. that that movies once you've shot it and it's in the can you know, it comes back again and again in the movie it's like it's it's it is forever once you've yeah. got it on film it's preserved it it will live long beyond your lifetime and it's a sort of beautiful thing in that so there is this like not just it's kind of ironic because the the gossip columnist tells him that yeah and you, the same could be said for her words on paper yeah she's okay going around doing little gossip columns and yeah. you know writing just horrible things about actors and actresses who are struggling yeah so he but the, you know there is a whole sort of it, Ch Chazelle has basically introduced all sides of the coin, like every side of the movie making coin. That's why it's three hours, yeah. Because every side of the movie making coin is is there from um, the point of view of I don't like it when people watch my movies and scoff at them. How terrible people! How terrible you are, people, for doing that. And aren't movies amazing and magic? And I'm so in love with it, and they'll last forever, and they're a beautiful thing. Like that, all of that, everything in between, like bitterness and pain and pleasure and joy and hatred and everything's in there um and in a way that mirrors again i'm not going to spoil it but the end of the movie is set in a movie theater there's a section where one of the characters is watching a movie and it, it, it and it, it sort of recasts a very famous movie um which is about this era which is a comedy it recasts it as a tragedy mm. you sort of you see now you you'll know this movie probably, um, and it sort of shows elements of 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 this movie which are basically about filmmaking, an older movie, a classic movie, and they're played for comedy in the movie. But actually, when you know the story of the film of Babylon, of Babylon, sorry, yeah, yeah, and of the, story, character the character, yeah, you realise that there's actually you know these things aren't just funny, yeah. even though Hollywood people in the future, from his point of view, will make or at the present as it is, because late mm -hmm. in the movie and time has moved on. Are making fun of it there's also kind of there's a story behind all these people are real people yeah who are all really trying to achieve something mm. who are really trying to do something and it's very famous as seen i guess on twitter because it has like lots of it then cuts in lots and lots and lots and lots of different movies literal mm. references to movies and it, you you sort of it's sort of a weird um history of cinema 
in a weird way, but in a very odd way. Mm. Uh, but I, it's a divisive scene, but I think it's great. Yeah. I think it's really powerful. If you love movies, it's really mm. powerful. If you're not like a big movie lover, it might not it impact. It jarring. Yeah, it might it'd be jarring. But I think as someone who, if you're really a lover of cinema, then you'll look at this and reappraise the way that you look at cinema and reappraise. And that's what these, you know, that's the point of a movie is to help you reappraise something. Mm. And if the movie is about movies, mm. then it should somewhat allow you to reappraise how you understand or see movies or movie making. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, you know, it's basically like the last scene is basically it's a tragedy, but then it's also still magical. Mm. You know, that's the point of it. You know, it's sort of everything. You know, cinema is everything. If you're really into cinema, it is everything. And that's what for Damon Chazelle, it clearly is his whole world, his whole life. Um, I guess that and jazz music. <laughs> but And then just, before, you know, I should just say there is a section in the movie with Tobey Maguire, <laughs> which promised we come back to, which we won't spoil for anybody, but. Well, it's a wild, a wild ride, that yeah. that excursion, isn't it? Yeah. I mean... It, <laughs> I don't know what to say about it without giving any of it away, but... Even if we were giving it away, there's almost nothing you could say about That's it. That's true. That would know. make any sense. <laughs> but it is a real deep, dark dive into the underbelly of Hollywood. Yeah. And they go they go and meet with Tobey Maguire because Margot Robbie owes him or his people some money from gambling debts. I believe that's right, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And then it takes a turn. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a wild turn, yeah. So, I mean, even when we talked about plot points in this, it's so dense, this movie. I don't think it's, apart from the mm. kind of shock factor of what happens in some of those scenes, yeah. you, you can't really spoil this movie because it's just a... It's a world unto itself. It's, 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 it's so many little details, so many little scenes, so many little things that feeds into everything else. I think you could watch this movie. I, watching it back, I know you don't, we don't, I'd seen it once and you'd seen it once and then I watched it back. Mm. I enjoyed it much more the second time than I thought yeah. I was going to do. I thought it was yeah. going to be a chore, but actually it's, I think it will probably, I don't know, <laughs> you, you probably think you'll be more sick of it on the first viewing than you are when you come back to it and you start to see all the kind of genius that is is, is wrapped up in it. But, um, I mean, I, I don't know. What was your impression? Was it a movie you enjoyed? Yeah, I enjoyed it more than I expected to, um, just based on, well, I don't want to sound silly. Yeah. <laughs> based on the trailer. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, you know, but that's that, where does, you get it from. that does matter because mm. it's one of the reasons that it ends up overlooked at the Oscars because, you know, less people go and see it and there are, like, political reasons why certain films are awarded and others are ignored. And one of the reasons it might not have been rewarded is because it's actually a bit brutal about Hollywood. Yeah, that it, is true. I mean, it has, again, it has all the magic and the and the worshipping of cinema, but it yeah. also has all the horror mm. and the, the just sort of, like, blunt, blunt, hard-nosed and kind of debauchery and things that... That, that Hollywood does not want to be portrayed as are all in there as well. Mm. It's the complete picture, yeah. I think. In the same way that I think like that's one of the good things about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because it has all of these crazy aspects and it has the like surface level LA but then it has that dark, horrible underbelly and like that is based on real fact, <laughs> real things that happened. Obviously, it's like twisted it, but like Tarantino's twisted the story, but it goes into those horrible the things that you want to pretend don't exist. Yeah. But like that come to the surface. Well, the things that eventually. Hollywood pretends. Yeah. That they don't want. Yeah. Um, it does go into that. And I mean, that's kind of some of the most fascinating. If you have like, if you're interested in like dark yeah. <laughs> Hollywood tales. Yeah. And, you know, debauchery. Yeah. But this is the ultimate dark Hollywood tale, isn't yeah. it? And uh, yeah. Again, uh, I guess I'll just summarize by saying that not everybody's going to enjoy this movie. Mm it is a complex movie but i'm someone who thought that i wouldn't enjoy it and then actually like it's made an impression on me and i think i probably will watch it again yeah and i could see myself enjoying it even more so uh, and then uh, uh but also it's just it is a, a complete picture of hollywood uh in all its most extreme forms both the bad the good and the indifferent mm-hmm. and the kind of uh whether it be the technical processes or the wild hedonistic kind of behind the scenes stuff mm-hmm. like uh, everything's there and so uh i yeah i'm 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 really pleased that a lot of people are not going to like it but i'm really pleased that jamie chazelle's made it and it yeah. might be my favorite damien well chazelle i was just gonna say movie. i was just gonna say that i think it wasn't just based on the trailer that i thought i wouldn't like it but like i was thinking about la la land yeah. and like sometimes 
as much as I watched La La Land and was like impressed like anyone else was, I can also be sickened by like musical theatre vibes <laughs> and like here's a number, a dance number, you know, well, a pretty, song and dance. It's pretty cheesy La La yeah, Land. But I thought that Babylon would have a bit more of that. Mm. I thought it would be a bit more now we're going to break out into a dance. Mm. And it had that element without actually doing that because mm. it was situated in like Hollywood parties in mansions. Mm. So it did it in a way that like it was justified and it wasn't just a straight up you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it did it and and it had the reason for like it's about Hollywood and it can bring in like Hollywood musical vibes, but it yeah. it doesn't it doesn't have the element that La La Land has, which always turns me off because I'm like, I don't want to be faced with this like Yeah, because it has a brutalness and a seediness and a grittiness yeah. that La La Land doesn't have. Yeah. Which is purposeful. Which I think works in its favour. Yeah, it's purposeful. <laughs> yeah. Um and you know, not to talk too much about La La Land, but La La Land's basically like a technical marvel as well. Yeah. But it's just a it's, it's, it's a bit meandering for what seems to be not quite good. I mean, La La Land is essentially New York, New York. Yeah, I mean, La La Land, uh, to me, just going to say it, the opening the opening scene to me is like High School Musical. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, but High School, high school Musical... Which I love. High School Musical <laughs> no. done with a real uh, um, uh, high level of technical prowess. Of course. But that doesn't... But like... That doesn't... That stops... Doesn't avoid the... To- the there's still coin. a cheesiness to it that yeah. I just can't see past. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, to me, it was like... I mean, I don't know if you've, we've ever looked at this stuff, but the Jack Demi musicals mm. uh, was quite similar mm. uh, to, to La La Land. Uh, and, and there's a sort of artifice that I think maybe he's going for there that's kind of missed in the Hollywood production rather than Jack Demi's like, like the French you know, kind of uh, new wave kind mm. of musicals, essentially. I mean, But I guess but, like any of that musical element that exists in this film is done with more maturity is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 uh, 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 fascinating. Uh, it is more in the vein of Whiplash in that sense. Yes, but much more developed. Again, Whiplash was just a short film yeah. that was stretched out. Um, this is like, uh, amazingly, Hollywood history compacted into three hours yeah um so it's like a long film but there's still almost not enough time in the film i didn't watch it and think oh this is so long it felt like yeah this could go on yeah and i would be fine with it yeah (laughs) yeah but not everybody's gonna feel like that are they (laughs) no i think a lot of people will probably be turned off by it but uh, if if you're into movies i'd recommend it but then um I, i don't know if i would recommend it to everybody so but uh yeah uh i, I, th- I thought it was fascinating i'd recommend everybody try it yeah <laughs> give it a go yeah so thanks for listening everyone and hopefully you'll join us on another at the cinema of course but on another white Boss cinema podcast uh, in the near future maybe there's one you can click on now and listen to straight away but otherwise we'll see you soon Thank you.